53. Hodges Arg shut the book and looked at the flame. It was true, then. There'd even been a picture of one just like it in the book, painstakingly drawn by another royal falconer two hundred years before. He wrote that he'd found the thing up on the high meadows one spring. It had burned for three years, and then he'd lost it somewhere. If you looked at it closely, you could even see the detail. It was not exactly a flame. It was more like a bright feather. Well, Lancre was on one of the main migration routes, for birds of all sorts. It was only a matter of time. So, the new hatchling was around. They needed time to grow, it said in the book. Odd that it should lay an egg here, because it said in the book that it always hatched in the burning deserts of Clatch. He went and looked at the birds in the mews. They were still very alert. Yes, it all made sense. It had flown in here, among the comfort of other birds, and laid its egg, just like it said it did in the book, and then it had burned itself up to hatch the new bird. If Hodges Arg had a fault, it lay in his rather utilitarian view of the bird world. There were birds that you hunted, and there were birds that you hunted with. Oh, there were other sorts, tweeting away in the bushes, but they didn't really count. It occurred to him that if ever there was a bird you could hunt with... It'd be the phoenix. Oh, yes, it'd be weak and young and it wouldn't have gone far. Hmm. Birds tended to think the same way, after all. It would have helped if there was one picture in the book. In fact, there were several, all carefully drawn by ancient falconers who claimed it was a firebird they'd seen. Apart from the fact that they all had wings and a beak, no two were remotely alike. One looked very much like a heron, another looked like a goose... One, and he scratched his head about this, appeared to be a sparrow. Bit of a puzzle, he decided, and left it at that, and selected a drawing that looked at least slightly foreign. He glanced at the bird gloves hanging on their hooks. He was good at rearing young birds. He could get them eating out of his hand. Later on, of course, they just ate his hand. Yes, catch it young and train it to the wrist. It'd have to be a champion hunting bird. Hodges Arg couldn't imagine a phoenix as quarry, for one thing, how could you cook it? And in the darkest corner of the muse, something hopped onto a perch. Once again, Agnes had to run to keep up as Nanny Og strode into the courtyard, elbows pumping furiously. The old lady marched up to a group of men standing around one of the barrels and grabbed two of them, spilling their drinks. Had it not been Nanny Og, this would have been a challenge equal to throwing down a glove or, in slightly less exalted circles, smashing a bottle on the edge of a bar... But the men looked sheepish, and one or two of the others in the circle even scuffled their feet and made an attempt to hide their pints behind their backs. Jason! Darren! You come along with me, Nanny commanded. We're after vampires, right? Any sharp stakes around here? <laughs> no, no, Mum, said Jason, Lankra's only blacksmith. Then he raised his hand. But ten minutes ago, the cook came out and said, Did anyone want all these nibbly things that someone had mucked up with garlic? And I ate them, Mum. Nanny sniffed and then took a step back, fanning her hand in front of her face. "'Yeah, that should do it all right,' she said. "'If I give you the signal, you're to burp hugely. Understand?' "'I don't think it'll work, Nanny,' said Agnes as boldly as she dared. "'I don't see why it's nearly knocking me down. "'I told you, you won't get close enough, even if it'll work at all. "'Perdita could feel it. It's like being drunk.' "'I'll be ready for them this time,' said Nanny. "'I've learned a thing or two from Esme. "'Yes, but she's... "'Agnes was going to say, "'better at them than you, "'but changed it to... "'Not here.' "'That's as may be, "'but I'd rather face them now "'than explain to Esme that I didn't. "'Come on.' "'Agnes followed the Ogs, "'but very uneasily. "'She wasn't sure how far she trusted Perdita. A few guests had departed, but the castle had lain on a pretty good feast, and ramtop people at any social level were never ones to pass up a laden table. Nanny glanced at the crowd and grabbed Sean, who was passing with a tray. "'Where's the vampires?' "'What, Mum?' "'That Count Magpie.' "'Magpier,' said Agnes. "'Him,' said Nanny. "'He's not a... he's gone up to, uh, the solar, Mum. "'They all have. What's that smell of garlic, Mum?' "'It's your brother.' All right, let's keep going. The solar was right at the top of the keep. It was old, cold and draughty. Verence had put glass in the huge windows, at his queen's insistence, which just meant that now the huge room attracted the more cunning, insidious kind of draught. But it was the royal room, 
not as public as the Great Hall, but the place where the king received visitors when he was being formally informal. The Nanny Og Expeditionary Force corkscrewed up the spiral staircase. She advanced across the good yet threadbare carpet to the group seated around the fire. She took a deep breath. Ah, oh, Mrs. Og, said Verence desperately, do join us. Agnes looked sideways at Nanny and saw her face contort into a strange smile. The Count was sitting in the big chair by the fire, with Vlad standing behind him. They both looked very handsome, she thought. Compared to them, Verence in his clothes that never seemed to fit right and permanently harassed expression looked out of place. The Count was just explaining how Lancre will become a duchy of his lands in Uberwald, said Verence, but will still be referred to as a kingdom, which I think is, is, is very reasonable of him, don't you agree? Very handsome suggestion, said Nanny. There will be taxes, of course, said the Count. Not onerous. Uh, we don't want blood. <laughs> Figuratively speaking, he beamed at the joke. Seems reasonable to me, said Nanny. It is, isn't it, said the Count. I knew it would work out so well, and I am so pleased, Verence, to see your essential modern attitude. People have quite the wrong idea about vampires, you see. Are we fiendish killers? He beamed at them. Well, yes, of course we are, but only when necessary. Frankly, we could hardly hope to rule a country if we went around killing everyone all the time, could we? There'd be none left to rule, for one thing. There was polite laughter, loudest of all from the Count. It made perfect sense to Agnes. The Count was clearly a fair-minded man. Anyone who didn't think so deserved to die. "'And we are only human,' said the Countess. "'Well, in fact, not only human. "'But if you prick us, do we not bleed? "'Which always seems such a waste.' "'They've got you again,' said a voice in her mind. "'Vlad's head jerked up. "'Agnes felt him staring at her. "'We are, above all, up to date,' said the Count. "'And we do like what you've done to this castle, I must say.' "'Oh, those torches back home,' said the Countess, rolling her eyes, "'and some of the things in the dungeons. "'Well, when I saw them I nearly died of shame. "'So, fifteen centuries ago. "'If one is a vampire, then one is,' she gave a deprecating little laugh, "'a vampire. "'Coffins, yes, of course, "'but there's no point in skulking around as if you're ashamed of what you are, is there? "'We all have needs.' "'You're all standing around like rabbits in front of a fox,' Perdita raged in the caverns of Agnes's brain. "'Oh,' said the Countess, clapping her hands together, "'I see you have a pianoforte.' It stood under a shroud in a corner of the room where it had stood for four months now. Verence had ordered it because he'd heard they were very modern. But the only person in the kingdom who'd come close to mastering it was Nanny Og, who would, as she put it, come up occasionally for a tinkle on the ivories.' King Verence was very keen that someone should compose a national anthem for Lancre, possibly referring to its very nice trees, and had offered a small reward. Nanny Og reasoned that it would be easy money because national anthems only ever have one verse, or rather all have the same second verse, which goes, at some length, until everyone remembers the last line of the first verse and sings it as loudly as they can. Then it had been covered over on the orders of Magrat, and the palace rumour was that Verence had got an ear-bashing for buying what was effectively a murdered elephant. "'Lacrimosa would so like to play for you,' the Countess commanded. "'Oh, mother,' said Lacrimosa. "'I'm sure we should love it,' said Verence. Agnes wouldn't have noticed the sweat running down his face if Perdita hadn't pointed it out. "'He's trying to fight it!' she said. "'Aren't you glad you've got me?' There was some bustling while a wad of sheet music was pulled out of the piano stool, and the young lady sat down to play. She glared at Agnes before beginning. There was some sort of chemistry there, although it was the sort that results in the entire building being evacuated. "'It's a racket!' said Perdita within, after the first few bars. "'Everyone's looking as though it's wonderful, but it's a din!' Agnes concentrated. The music was beautiful, but if she really paid attention, with Perdita nudging her, it wasn't really there at all. It sounded like someone playing scales, badly and angrily. I can say that at any time, she thought. Any time I want, I can just wake up. Everyone else applauded politely. 
Agnes tried to, but found that her left hand was suddenly on strike. Perdita was getting stronger in her left arm. Vlad was beside her so quickly that she wasn't even aware that he'd moved. "'You are a fascinating woman, Miss Knit,' he said. "'Such lovely hair, may I say. But who is Perdita?' "'No one, really,' Agnes mumbled. She fought against the urge to bunch her left hand into a fist. Perdita was screaming at her again. Vlad stroked a strand of her hair. It was, she knew, good hair. It wasn't simply big hair, it was enormous hair, as if she was trying to counterbalance her body. It was glossy, it never split, and was extremely well-behaved, except for a tendency to eat combs. "'Eat combs,' said Vlad, coiling the hair around his finger. "'Yes, it. he can see what you're thinking!' Vlad looked puzzled again, like someone trying to make out some faint noise. "'You can resist, can't you?' he said. "'I was watching you when Lackey was playing the piano and losing. "'Do you have any vampire blood in you?' "'What? No.' "'It could be arranged. <laughs> he grinned. "'It was the sort of grin that Agnes supposed was called infectious, "'but then so was measles.' It filled her immediate future. Something was pouring over her like a pink fluffy cloud, saying, It's all right. Everything is fine. This is exactly right. Look at Mrs. Og there, said Vlad, grinning like a pumpkin, ain't she? And she is apparently one of the more powerful witches in the mountains. <laughs> it's almost distressing, don't you think? Tell him you know he can read minds, Perdita commanded. And again... The puzzled, quizzical look. You can... Agnes began. No, not exactly. Just people, said Vlad. One learns, one learns, one picks things up. He flung himself down on a sofa, one leg over the arm, and stared thoughtfully at her. Things will be changing, Agnes Knit, he said. My father is right. Why lurk in dark castles? Why be ashamed? We're vampires, or rather, vampires. Father's a bit keen on the new spelling. He says it indicates a clean break with a stupid and superstitious past. In any case, it's not our fault. We were born vampires. I thought you became vampires by being bitten. Oh, dear me, no. Oh, we can turn people into vampires. It's an easy technique. But what would be the point? When you eat... Now, what... Is it you eat? Oh, yes, chocolate. You don't want to turn it into another Agnes knit, do you? Less chocolate to go round. Oh, he sighed. Oh, dear. Superstition, superstition, everywhere we turn. Isn't it true that we've been here at least ten minutes and your neck is quite free of anything except a small amount of soap you didn't wash off? Agnes's hand flew to her throat. We notice these things, said Vlad, and now we're here to notice them. Oh, father is powerful in his way, and quite an advanced thinker, but I don't think even he is aware of the, um, possibilities. I can't tell you how good it is to be out of that place, Miss Knit. The werewolves, oh dear, the werewolves. Marvellous people, it goes without saying. And, of course, the Baron has a certain rough style. But, really, give them a good deer hunt, a warm spot in front of the fire, and a nice big bone, and the rest of the world can go hang. We've done our best. We really have. No one has done more than father to bring our part of the country into the century of the fruit bat. It's nearly over, Agnes began. Perhaps that's why he's so keen said Vlad. The place is just full of, well, remnants. <laughs> I mean, centaurs, really. They've got no business surviving. They're out of place. And frankly, all the lower races are just as bad. The trolls are stupid, the dwarfs are devious, the pictures are evil, and the gnomes stick in your teeth. Time they were gone, driven out. We have great hopes of Lancra. He looked around disdainfully. After some... Redecoration. Agnes looked back at Nanny and her sons. They were listening quite contentedly to the worst music since Sean Og's bagpipes had been dropped down the stairs. And you're taking our country, she said, just like that.
Vlad gave her another smile, stood up and walked towards her. Oh, yes. Bloodlessly. Well, metaphorically. You really are quite remarkable, Miss Knit. The uberworld girls are so sheep-like, but you, you're... you're concealing something from me. Everything I feel tells me you're quite under my power, and yet you're not. He chuckled. This is delightful. Agnes felt her mind unravelling. The pink fog was blowing through her head, and looming out of it, deadly and mostly concealed, was the iceberg of Perdita. As Agnes withdrew into the pinkness, she felt the tingle spread down her arms and legs. It was not pleasant. It was like sensing someone standing right behind you and then feeling them take one step forward. Agnes would have pushed him away. That is, Agnes would have dithered and tried to talk her way out of things. But if push had come to shove, then she'd have pushed hard. But Perdita struck. And when her hand was halfway around, she turned it palm out and curled her fingers in to bring her nails into play. He caught her wrist his hand moving in a blur. Well done, he said, laughing. His other hand shot out and caught her other arm as it swung. I like a woman with spirit. However, he had run out of hands, and Perdita still had a knee in reserve. Vlad's eyes crossed, and he made that small sound best recorded as <coughs> Magnificent, he croaked as he folded up. Perdita pulled herself away and ran over to Nanny Og, grabbing the woman's arm. Nanny, we're leaving. Are we, dear? said Nanny calmly, not making a move. And Jason and Darren too. Perdita didn't read as much as Agnes. She thought books were boring. But now she really needed to know. What did you use against vampires? Holy symbols, Agnes prompted from within. Perdita looked around desperately. Nothing in the room looked particularly holy. Religion, apart from its use as a sort of cosmic registrar, had never caught on in Lancre. "'Daylight is always good, my dear,' said the Countess, who must have caught the edge of her thought. "'Your uncle always had big windows and easily twitched aside curtains, didn't he, Count?' "'Yes, indeed,' said the Count. "'And when it came to running water, he always kept the moat flowing perfectly, didn't he?' "'Fed from a mountain stream, I think,' said the Count." "'And for a vampire, he always seemed to have so many ornamental items around the castle "'that could be bent or broken into the shape of some religious symbol, as I recall. "'He certainly did. A vampire of the old school.' "'Yes,' the Countess gave her husband a smile. "'The stupid school!' "'She turned to Perdita and looked her up and down. "'So I think you will find we are here to stay, my dear, "'although you do seem to have made an impression on my son.' <laughs> Come here, girl, let me have a good look at you. Even cushioned inside her own head, Agnes felt the weight of the vampire's will hit Perdita like an iron bar, pushing her down. Like the other end of a seesaw, Agnes rose. Where's Magrat? What have you done with her? she said. Putting the baby to bed, I believe, said the Countess, raising her eyebrows. A lovely child. Granny Weatherwax is going to hear about this, and you'll wish you'd never been born. "'or unborn, or reborn, or whatever you are.' "'We look forward to meeting her,' said the Count calmly. "'But here we are, and I don't seem to see this famous lady with us. "'Perhaps you should go and fetch her. "'You could take your friends. "'And when you see her, Miss Knit, "'you can tell her that there is no reason why witches and vampires should fight.' "'Nanny Og stirred.' Jason shifted in his seat. Agnes pulled them upright and towards the stairs. We'll be back, she shouted. The Count nodded. Good, he said. We are famous for our hospitality. It was still dark when Hodges Arg set out. If you were hunting a phoenix, he reasoned, the dark was probably the best time. Light showed up better in the darkness. He'd packed a portable wire cage, after considering the charred bars of the window, and he'd also spent some time on the glove. It was basically a puppet, made of yellow cloth, with some purple and blue rags tacked on. It was not, he conceded, very much like the drawing of the phoenix, but in his experience birds weren't choosy observers. Newly hatched birds were prepared to accept practically anything as their parent. Anyone who'd hatched eggs under a broody hen knew that ducklings could be made to think they were chicks, and poor William the Buzzard was a case in point. 
The fact that a young phoenix never saw its parent and therefore didn't know what it was supposed to look like might be a drawback in getting its trust, but this was unknown territory and Hodges Arg was prepared to try anything. Like bait, for example. He'd packed meat and grain, although the drawing certainly suggested a hawk-like bird. But in case it needed to eat inflammable materials as well, he also put in a bag of mothballs and a pint of fish oil. Nets were out of the question, and bird lime was not to be thought of. Hodges Arg had his pride. Anyway, they probably wouldn't work. Since anything might be worth trying, he'd also adapted a duck lure, trying to achieve a sound described by a long-dead falconer as like unto the cry of a buzzard, yet of a lower pitch. He wasn't too happy about the result, but on the other hand, maybe a young phoenix didn't know what a phoenix was to sound like either. It might work, and if he didn't try it, he'd always be wondering. He set out. Soon, a cry like a duck in a power dive was heard among the damp, dark hills. The pre-dawn light was grey on the horizon, and a shower of sleet had made the leaves sparkle when Granny Weatherwax left her cottage. There had been so much to do. What she'd chosen to take with her was slung in a sack tied across her back with string. She'd left the broomstick in the corner by the fire. She wedged the door open with a stone and then, without once looking back, strode off through the woods. Down in the villages, the cocks crowed in response to a sunrise hidden somewhere beyond the clouds. An hour later, a broomstick settled gently on the lawn. Nanny Og alighted and hurried to the back door. Her foot kicked something holding it open. She glared at the stone as if it was something dangerous, and then edged it round and into the gloom of the cottage. She came out a few minutes later, looking worried. Her next move was towards the water butt. She broke the film of ice with her hand and pulled out a piece, looked at it for a moment and then tossed it away. People often got the wrong idea about Nanny Og and she took care to see that they did. One thing they often got wrong was the idea that she never thought further than the bottom of the glass. Up in a nearby tree a magpie chattered at her. She threw a stone at it. Agnes arrived half an hour later. She preferred to go on foot whenever possible. She suspected that she overhung too much. Nanny Og was sitting on a chair just inside the door, smoking her pipe. She took it out of her mouth and nodded. "'She's gone,' she said. "'Gone? Just when we need her?' said Agnes. "'What do you mean?' "'She ain't here,' Nanny expanded. "'Perhaps she's just out,' said Agnes. "'Gone,' said Nanny. "'These past two hours, if I'm any judge.' "'How do you know that?' "'Once, probably even yesterday,' Nanny would have alluded vaguely to magical powers. It was a measure of her concern that today she got right to the jelly. First thing she does in the mornings, rain or shine, is wash her face in the water butt, she said. Someone broke the ice two hours ago. You can see where it's frozed over again. Oh, is that all? said Agnes. Well, perhaps she's got business. You come and see, said Nanny, standing up. The kitchen was spotless. Every flat surface had been scrubbed. The fireplace had been swept and a new fire laid. Most of the cottage's smaller contents had been laid out on the table. There were three cups, three plates, three knives, a cleaver, three forks, three spoons, two ladles, a pair of scissors and three candlesticks. A wooden box was packed with needles and thread and pins. If it was possible for anything to be polished, it had been. Someone had even managed to buff up a shine on the old pewter candlesticks. Agnes felt the little knot of tension grow inside her. Witches didn't own much... The cottage owned things. They were not yours to take away. This looked like an inventory. Behind her, Nanny Og was opening and shutting drawers in the ancient dresser. She's left it all neat, Nanny said. She's even clipped all the rust off the kettle. The larder's all bare except for some hobnailed cheese and suicide biscuits. It's the same in the bedroom. Her I ate and dead card is hanging behind the door. And the gazunda's so clean you could eat your tea out of it. If the fancy took you that way. And she's taken the box out of the dresser. What box? Oh, she keeps stuffing it, said Nanny. Memorabilia. You know, keepsakes and whatnot. Stuff that's hers. What's this? said Agnes, holding up a green glass ball. Oh, Magrat passed that on to her, said Nanny, lifting up a corner of the rug and peering under it. It's a float our Wayne brought back from the seaside once. It's a boy for the fishing nets. I didn't know boys had glass balls, said Agnes. She groaned inwardly and felt the blush unfold. But Nanny hadn't noticed. 
It was then she realised how really serious this was. Nanny would normally leap on such a gift like a cat on a feather. Nanny could find an innuendo in Good Morning. She could certainly find one in Innuendo, and boys with glass balls should have lasted her all week. She'd be accosting total strangers and saying, You'll never guess what Agnes Knit said. She ventured, I said, Dunno much about fishing, really, said Nanny. She straightened up, biting her thumbnail thoughtfully. Something's wrong with all this, she said. The box. She wasn't going to leave anything behind. Granny wouldn't go, would she? said Agnes nervously. I mean, not actually leave. She's always here. Like I told you last night. She's been herself lately, said Nanny vaguely. She sat down in the rocking chair. You mean she's not been herself, don't you? said Agnes. I knows exactly what I means, girl. When she's herself, she snaps at people and sulks and makes herself depressed. Ain't you ever heard of taking people out of themselves? Now shut up, cos I'm thinking. Agnes looked down at the green ball in her hands, a glass fishing float five hundred miles from the sea, an ornament like a shell, not a crystal ball. You could use it like a crystal ball, but it wasn't a crystal ball, and she knew why that was important. Granny was a very traditional witch. Witches hadn't always been popular. There might even be times, there had been times long ago, when it was a good idea not to advertise what you were. And that was why all these things on the table didn't betray their owner at all. There was no need for that anymore. There hadn't been in Lancre for hundreds of years. But some habits get passed down in the blood. In fact, things now worked the other way. Being a witch was an honourable trade in the mountains. But only the young ones invested in real crystal balls and coloured knives and dribbly candles. The old ones, they stuck with simple kitchen cutlery. Fishing floats, bits of wood, whose very ordinariness subtly advertised their status. Any fool could be a witch with a runic knife, but it took skill to be one with an apple corer. A sound she hadn't been hearing stopped abruptly and the silence echoed. Nanny glanced up. Clocks stopped, she said. It's not even telling the right time, said Agnes, turning to look at it. Oh, she just kept it for the tick, said Nanny. Agnes put down the glass ball. I'm going to look around some more, she said. She'd learned to look around when she visited someone's home, because in one way it was a piece of clothing and had grown to fit their shape. It might show not just what they'd been doing, but what they'd been thinking. You might be visiting someone who expected you to know everything about everything, and in those circumstances you took every advantage you could get. Someone had told her that a witch's cottage was her second face. Come to think of it, it had been Granny. It should be easy to read this place. Granny's thoughts had the strength of hammer blows, and they'd pounded her personality into the walls. If her cottage had been any more organic, it would have had a pulse. Agnes wandered through to the dank little scullery. The copper washpot had been scoured. A fork and a couple of shining spoons lay beside it, along with the washboard and scrubbing brush. The slop bucket gleamed, although the fragments of a broken cup in the bottom said that the recent intensive housework hadn't been without its casualties. She pushed open the door into the old goat shed. Granny was not keeping goats at the moment, but her homemade beekeeping equipment was neatly laid out on a bench. She'd never needed much. If you needed smoke and a veil to deal with your bees, what was the point of being a witch? Bees. A moment later, she was out in the garden, her ear pressed against a beehive. There were no bees flying this early in the day, but the sound inside was a roar. They'll know, said a voice behind her. Agnes stood up so quickly she bumped her head on the hive roof. But they won't say, Nanny added. She'd have told them. Well done for thinking about them, though. Something chattered at them from a nearby branch. It was a magpie. Good morning, Mr Magpie, said Agnes automatically. Bugger off, you bastard, said Nanny, and reached down for a stick to throw. The bird swooped off to the other side of the clearing. That's bad luck, said Agnes. It will be if I get a chance to aim, said Nanny. Can't stand those maggoty pies. One for sorrow, said Agnes, watching the bird hop along the branch. I always take the view there's probably going to be another one along in a minute, said Nanny, dropping a stick. Two for joy, said Agnes. It's two for mirth. Same thing, I suppose. Don't know about that, said Nanny. I was joyful when our Jason was born, but I can't say I was laughing at the time. Come on, let's have another look. 
two more magpies landed on the cottage's antique thatch. "'That's three for a girl,' said Agnes, nervously. Three for a funeral's what I learned,' said Nanny. "'But there's lots of magpie rhymes. "'Look, you take her broomstick and have a look over towards the mountains, "'and I'll—' "'Wait,' said Agnes. "'Perdita was screaming at her to pay attention. "'She listened. Threes, three spoons, three knives, three cups. "'The broken cup thrown away. "'She stood still, afraid that if she moved or breathed, "'something awful would happen. "'The clock had stopped. "'Nanny!' Nanny Og was wise enough to recognise that something was happening and didn't waste time on daft questions. Yes, she said. Go in and tell me what time the clock stopped at, will you? Nanny nodded and trotted off. The tension in Agnes's head stretched out thin and made a noise like a plucked string. She was amazed that the whine from it couldn't be heard all round the garden. If she moved, if she tried to force things, it'd snap. Nanny returned. Three o'clock, said Agnes before she opened her mouth. Just after. How much after? Two or three minutes. Two or three Three then! The three magpies landed together on another tree and chased one another through the branches, chattering loudly. Three minutes after three, said Agnes, and felt the tension ease and the words form. Threes, Nanny! She was thinking in threes! There was another candlestick out in the goat shed, and some cutlery too, but she only put out threes. Some things were in ones and twos, said Nanny, but her voice was edged with doubt. Then she'd only got one or two of them, said Agnes. There were more spoons and things out in the scullery that she'd missed. I mean, that for some reason she wasn't putting out more than three. I know for a fact she's got four cups, said Nanny. Three, said Agnes. She must have broken one. The bits are in the slop bucket. Nanny Og stared at her. She's not clumsy as a rule, she mumbled. She looked to Agnes as though she were trying to avoid some huge and horrible thought. A gust shook the trees. A few drops of rain spattered across the garden. Let's get inside, Agnes suggested. Nanny shook her head. It's chiller in there than out here, she said. Something skimmed across the leaves and landed on the lawn. It was a fourth magpie. Four for a berth, she added, apparently to herself. That'd be it, sure enough. I hope she wouldn't realise, but you can't get anything past Esme. I'll tan young Sean's hide for him when I get home. He swore he'd delivered that invite. Perhaps she took it away with her. No. If she'd got it, she'd have been there last night. You can bet on it, snapped Nanny. What wouldn't she realise, said Agnes? Magrat's daughter. What? Well, I should think she would realise. You can't hide a baby. Everyone in the kingdom knows about it. I mean, Magrat's got a daughter. She's a mother, said Nanny. Well, yes, that's how it works. So? They were shouting at one another, and they both realised it at the same time. It was raining harder now. Drips were flying off Agnes's hat every time she moved her head. Nanny recovered a little. All right. I suppose between us we've got enough sense to get in out of the rain. And at least we can light the fire, said Agnes as they stepped into the chill of the kitchen. She's left it all laid. No! There's no need to shout again. Look, don't light the fire, right? said Nanny. Don't touch anything more than you have to. I could easily get more kindling in. Be told! That fire wasn't laid for you to light. And leave that door alone. Agnes stopped in the act of pushing away the stone. Be sensible, Nanny. The rain and leaves are blowing in. Let em. Nanny flopped into the rocking chair, pulled up her skirt and fumbled in the depths of a lengthy knicker leg until she came up with the spirit flask. She took a long pull. Her hands were shaking. I can't start being a hag at my time of life, she muttered. None of my bras will fit. Nanny? Yes? What the hell are you going on about? Daughter, not lighting fires. Hags. Nanny replaced the flask and felt around in the other leg, coming up eventually with her pipe and tobacco pouch. Not sure if I ought to tell you, she said. Now Granny Weatherwax was well beyond the local woods and high in the forests, following a track used by the charcoal burners and the occasional dwarf. Already Lancre was dying away. She could feel it ebbing from her mind. Down below, when things were quiet, she was always aware of the buzz of minds around her, human and animal. They all stirred up together in some great mental stew. But here... There were mainly the slow thoughts of the trees, which were frankly boring after the first few hours and could be safely ignored. 
Snow, still quite thick in the hollows and on the shadow sides of trees, was dissolving in a drizzle of rain. She stepped into a clearing, and a small herd of deer on the far edge raised their heads to watch her. Out of habit she stopped and gently let herself unravel, until, from the deer's point of view, there was hardly anyone there. When she began to walk forward again, a deer stepped out of some bushes and stopped and turned to face her. She'd seen this happen before. Hunters talked about it sometimes. You could track a herd all day, creeping silently among the trees in search of that one clean shot, and just as you were aiming, a deer would step out right in front of you, turn and watch and wait. Those were the times when a hunter found out how good he was. Granny snapped her fingers. The deer shook itself and galloped off. She climbed higher, following the stony bed of a stream. Despite its swiftness, there was a border of ice along its banks. Where it dropped over a series of small waterfalls, she turned and looked back down into the bowl of Lancre. It was full of clouds. A few hundred feet below, she saw a black and white magpie skim across the forest roof. Granny turned and scrambled quickly up the dripping icy rocks and onto the fringes of the moorland beyond. Up here there was more sky. Silence clamped down. Far overhead an eagle wheeled. It seemed to be the only other life. No one ever came up here. The firs and heather stretched away for a mile between the mountains, unbroken by any path. It was matted, thorny stuff that would tear unprotected flesh to ribbons. She sat down on a rock and stared at the unbroken expanse for a while. Then she reached into her sack and took out a thick pair of socks and set off onwards and upwards. Nanny Og scratched her nose. She very seldom looked embarrassed, but there was just a hint of embarrassment about her now. It was even worse than Nanny Og upset. I ain't sure if this is the right time, she said. Look, Nanny, said Agnes, we need her. If there's something I ought to know, then tell me. It's this business with, you know, three witches, she said. The maiden, the mother, and the other one, said Agnes. Oh, yes, I know that. But that's just a bit of superstition, isn't it? Witches don't have to come in threes. Oh, no, course not, said Nanny. You can have any number up to about, oh, four or five. What happens if there's more, then? Something awful? Bloody great row, usually, said Nanny. Or oh, well, nothing much. And then they all goes off and sulks. Witches don't like being compressed up much, but three sort of... Works well. I don't have to draw you a picture, do I? And now Magrat's a mother, said Agnes. Ah, well, that's where it goes all a bit runny, said Nanny. This maid and a mother thing is not as simple as you'd think, see? Now you, she prodded Agnes with her pipe, are a maiden. You are, aren't you? Nanny, that's not the sort of thing people discuss. Well, I knows you are, cos I'd soon hear if you wasn't, said Nanny, the kind of person who discussed that kind of thing all the time. But that ain't really important, because it ain't down to technicalities, see? Now me, I don't reckon I was ever a maiden mentally. Oh, you don't need to go all red like that. What about your Aunt May over in Creel Springs? Four kids, and she's still bashful around men. You got your blush from her. Tell her a saucy joke, and if you're quick, you can cook dinner for six on her head. When you've been around for a while, miss, you'll see that some people's body and head don't always work together. "'And what's Granny Weatherwax, then?' said Agnes, and added, a little nastily, because the reference to the blush had gone home, "'Mentally.' "'Damned if I've ever worked that out,' said Nanny, "'but I reckon she sees there's a new three here. "'That bloody invitation must have been the last straw, so she's gone.' She poked at her pipe. "'Can't say I fancy being a crone. "'I ain't the right shape, and anyway, I don't know what sound they make.' Agnes had a sudden and very clear and horrible mental image of the broken cup. "'But Granny isn't a... wasn't a... I mean, she didn't look like a...' she began. "'There's no point in looking at a dog and saying it's not a dog "'cause a dog don't look like that,' said Nanny simply. Agnes fell silent. Nanny was right, of course. Nanny was someone's mum. It was written all over her. If you cut her in half, the word ma would be all the way through.' Some girls were just naturally mothers, and some, Perdita added, were cut out to be professional maidens. As for the third, Agnes went on, ignoring her own interruption, perhaps it wasn't so odd that people generally called Nanny out for the births and Granny out for the deaths. She thinks we don't need her any more. I reckon so. What's she going to do then? 
dunno. But if you had three and now there's four, well, something's got to go, hasn't it? What about the vampires? The two of us can't cope with them. She's been telling us there's three of us, said Nanny. What, Magrat? But she's the... Agnes stopped herself. She's no Nanny Og, she said. Well, I sure as hell ain't Esme Weatherwax if it comes to that, said Nanny. The mental stuff is meat and drink to her. Getting inside other heads, putting her mind somewhere else, that's her forte right enough. She'd wipe the smile off that Count's face for him from the inside, if I know Esme. They sat and stared glumly at the cold fireplace. Maybe we weren't always very nice to her, said Agnes. She kept thinking of the broken cup. She was sure Granny Weatherwax hadn't done that accidentally. She may have thought she'd done it accidentally, but maybe everyone had a perditor inside. She'd walked around this gloomy cottage, which was as much in tune with her thoughts by now as a dog is with its master, and she'd had three on her mind. Three, three, three. Esme doesn't thrive on nice, said Nanny Og. Take her an apple pie and she'll complain about the pastry. But people don't often thank her, and she does do a lot. She's not set up for thanks neither, mentally. To tell you the honest truth, there's always been a bit of dark in the weatherwaxes, and that's where the trouble is. Look at old Alison Weatherwax. Who was she? Her own granny. Went to the bad, they say, just packed up one day and headed for Uberwald. And as for Esme's sister... Nanny stopped and restarted. Anyway, that's why she's always standing behind herself and criticising what she's doing. Sometimes I reckon she's terrified she'll go bad without noticing. Granny? But she's as moral as... Oh, yes, she is. But that's because she's got Granny Weatherwax glaring over her shoulder the whole time. Agnes took another look around the Spartan room. Now the rain was leaking steadily through the ceiling. She fancied she could hear the walls settling into the clay. She fancied she could hear them thinking. Did she know McGrath was going to call the baby Esme, she said. Probably. It's amazing what she picks up. Maybe not tactful, then, when you think about it, said Agnes. What do you mean? I'd have been honoured if it was me. Perhaps Granny thought the name was being passed on, inherited. Oh, yes, said Nanny. Yes, I can just imagine Esme working it up to that when she's in one of her gloomy moods. My granny used to say, if you're too sharp, you'll cut yourself, said Agnes. They sat in grey silence for a while, and then Nanny Og said, my own granny has an old country saying she's always trotted out at times like this. Which was? Bugger off, you little devil, or I'll chop off your nose and give it to the cat. Of course, that's not so very helpful at a time like this, I'll admit. There was a tinkle behind them. Nanny turned her head and looked down at the table. There's a spoon gone. There was another jangle, this time by the door. A magpie paused in its attempt to pick the stolen spoon off the doorstep, cocked its head and glared at them with a beady eye. It just managed to get airborne before Nanny's hat, spinning like a plate, bounced off the door jam. The devils'll pinch anything that damn well shines, she began. The Count de Magpier looked out of the window at the glow that marked the rising sun. There you are, you see, he said, turning back to his family. Morning, and here we are. You've made it overcast, said Lacrimosa sullenly. It's hardly sunny. One step at a time, dear, one step at a time, said the Count cheerfully. I just wish to make the point. Today, yes, it is overcast, but we can build on it, we can acclimatise, and one day... The beach. You really are very clever, dear, said the Countess. Thank you, my love, said the Count, nodding his private agreement. How are you doing with that cork, Vlad? Is this such a good idea, father, said Vlad, struggling with a bottle and a corkscrew. I thought we did not drink wine. I believe it's time we started. Yuck! said Lacrimosa. I'm not touching that. It's squeezed from vegetables. Fruit, I think you'll find, said the Count calmly. He took the bottle from his son and removed the cork. A fine claret, I understand. You'll try some, my dear? His wife smiled nervously, supporting her husband, but slightly against her better judgment. Do we, uh, are we supposed to uh, warm it up, she said. 
Room temperature is suggested. That's sickening, said Lacrimosa. I don't know how you can bear it. Try it for your father, dear, said the Countess, quickly before it congeals. No, my dear, wine stays runny. Really? How very convenient. Vlad, said the Count, pouring a glass. The son watched nervously. Perhaps it would help if you think of it as grape blood, said his father, as Vlad took the wine. And you, lackey? She folded her arms resolutely. I thought you'd like this sort of thing, dear, said the Countess. It's the sort of thing your crowd does, isn't it? I don't know what you're talking about, said the girl. Oh, staying up until gone noon and wearing brightly coloured clothes and giving yourself funny names, said the Countess. Like Gertrude, sneered Vlad, and Pam. (laughs) They think it's cool. Lacrimosa turned on him furiously, nails out. He caught her wrist, grinning. That's none of your business. Lady Stridjoyul said her daughter has taken to calling herself Wendy, said the Countess. I can't imagine why she'd want to, when Hieroglyphica is such a nice name for a girl, and if I was her mother I'd see to it that she at least wore a bit of eyeliner. Yes, but no one drinks wine said Lacrimosa. Only real weirdos who file their teeth blunt drink wine. Maladora Krvojijak does, said Vlad. Or Frida, I should say. No, she doesn't. What? She wears a silver corkscrew on a chain round her neck and sometimes there's even a cork on it. That's just a fashion item. Oh, I know she says she's partial to a drop of port, but really it's just blood in the glass. Henry actually brought a bottle to a party and she fainted at the smell. Henry, said the Countess. Lacrimosa looked down sulkily. Graven Giraki, she said. The one who grows his hair short and pretends he's an accountant, said Vlad. I just hope someone's told his father then, said the Countess. Be quiet, said the Count. This is all just cultural conditioning, you understand? Please. I've worked hard for this. All we want is a piece of the day. Is that too much to ask? And wine is just wine. There's nothing mystical about it. Now, take up your glasses. You too, lackey. Please? For Daddy? And when you tell Cyril and Tim, they'll be so impressed, said Vlad to Lacrimosa. Shut up, she hissed. Father, it'll make me sick. No, your body will adapt, said the Count. I've tried it myself. A little watery, perhaps, somewhat sour, but quite palatable. Please? Oh, well, good, said the Count. Now, raise the glasses. Le sang nouveau et arrivé, said Vlad. Carpe diem, said the Count. By the throat, said the Countess. "'People won't believe me when I tell them,' said Lacrimosa. "'They swallowed. "'There,' said Count Magpier. "'That wasn't too bad, was it?' Uh, "'It was a bit chilly,' said Vlad. "'I'll have a wine-warmer installed,' said the Count. "'I'm not an unreasonable vampire, but within a year, children, "'I think I can have us quite cured of phenophobia "'and even capable of a little light salad.' Lacrimosa turned her back theatrically and made throwing up noises into a vase. And then, lackey, you'll be free. No more lonely days. No more... Vlad was half expecting it and kept an entirely blank expression as his father whipped a card from his pocket and held it up. That is the double snake symbol of the Jellybabian water cult, he said calmly. You see, said the Count excitedly, you barely flinched. "'Sacrophobia can be beaten. I've always said so. "'The way may have been hard at times.' "'I hated the way you used to leap out in corridors "'and flick holy water on us,' said Lacrimosa. "'It wasn't holy at all,' said her father. "'It was strongly diluted, mildly devout at worst. "'But it made you strong, didn't it? "'I caught colds a lot, I know that.' "'The Count's hand whipped out of his pocket. "'Lacrimosa gave a sigh of theatrical weariness.' "'The all-seeing face of the Ionians,' 
she said wearily. The Count very nearly danced a jig. "'You see, it has worked! "'You didn't even wince! "'And apparently, as holy symbols go, it's pretty strong! "'Isn't it all worth it?' "'There'll have to be something really good "'to make up for those garlic pillows "'you used to make us sleep on.' "'Her father took her by the shoulder "'and turned her towards the window. "'Will it be enough to know that the world is your oyster?' Her forehead wrinkled in perplexity. Why should I want it to be some nasty little sea creature? she said. Because they get eaten alive, said the Count. Unfortunately, I doubt if we can find a slice of lemon five hundred miles long, but the metaphor will suffice. She brightened up grudgingly. Well, she said, good. I like to see my little girl smile, said the Count. Now, who shall we have for breakfast? "'The baby?' "'No, I think not.' "'The Count pulled a bell-pull beside the fireplace. "'That would be undiplomatic. "'We're not quite there yet.' "'Well, that apology for a queen looks pretty bloodless. "'Vlad should have hung on to his fat girl,' said Lacrimosa. "'Don't you start,' Vlad warned. "'Agnes is a, is a, is a very interesting girl. "'I feel that there's a lot in her.' "'A lot of her,' said Lacrimosa. "'Are you saving her for later?' "'Now, now, now,' said the Count. "'Your own dear mother wasn't a vampire when I met her.' "'Yes, yes, you've told us a million times,' said Lacrimosa, "'rolling her eyes with the impatience of someone "'who'd been a teenager for eighty years. "'The balcony, the nightdress, you in your cloak,' she screamed. "'Things were simpler then,' said the Count, "'and also very, very stupid.' He sighed. Where the hell's Igor? Oh, I've been meaning to talk to you about him, dear, said the Countess. I think he'll have to go. That's right, snapped Lacrimosa. Honestly, even my friends laugh at him. I find his more gothic-than-thou attitude extremely irritating, said the Countess. That stupid accent. And do you know what I found him doing in the old dungeons last week? "'I'm sure I couldn't guess,' said the Count. "'He had a box of spiders and a whip. "'He was forcing them to make webs all over the place. "'I wondered why there were always so many, I must admit,' said the Count. "'I agree, father,' said Vlad. "'He's all right for Uberwald, "'but you'd hardly want something like him opening the door in polite society, would you?' "'And he smells,' said the Countess.' "'Of course, parts of him have been in the family for centuries,' said the Count, "'but I must admit he's getting beyond a joke.' "'He yanked the bell-pull again. "'Yes, master,' said Igor behind him. "'The Count spun round. "'I told you not to do that!' "'Not to do what, master? "'Turn up behind me like that! "'It's the only way I know how to turn up, master.' "'Go and fetch King Verence, will you? "'He's joining us for a light meal.' "'Yes, master.' "'They watched the servant limp off. "'The Count shook his head. "'He'll never retire,' said Vlad. "'He'll never take a hint. "'And it's so old-fashioned having a servant called Igor,' said the Countess. "'He really is too much.' Look, it's simple, said Lacrimosa. Just take him down to the cellars, slam him in the Iron Maiden, stretch him on the rack over a fire for a day or two, and then slice him thinly from the feet upwards so he can watch. You'll be doing him a kindness, really. I suppose it's the best way, said the Count sadly. I remember when you told me to put my cat out of its misery, said Lacrimosa. I really meant you to stop what you were doing to it said the Count. But, yes, you are right, he'll have to go. Igor ushered in King Verence, who stood there with the mildly bemused expression of someone in the presence of the Count. Ah, your Majesty, said the Countess, advancing, do join us in a light meal. Agnes's hair snagged in the twigs. She managed to get one boot on a branch while holding on for dear life to the branch above, but that left her other foot standing on the broomstick, which was beginning to drift sideways and causing her to do what even ballerinas can't do without some training. "'Can you see it yet?' Nanny cried from far too far below. "'I think this is an old nest as well. Oh, no. "'What's happened?' "'I think my drawers have split. 
I always go for roomy myself, said Nanny. Agnes got the other leg onto the branch, which creaked. Lump, said Perdita. I could have climbed this like a gazelle. Gazelles don't climb, said Agnes. What's that? said a voice from below. Oh, nothing. Agnes inched her way along, and suddenly her vision was full of black and white wings. A magpie landed on a twig a foot from her face and screamed at her. Five others swooped in from the other trees and joined in the chorus. She didn't like birds in any case. They were fine when they were flying, and their songs were nice. But close to they were mad little balls of needles with the intelligence of a housefly. She tried to swat the nearest one, and it fluttered onto a higher branch while she struggled to get her balance back. When the branch stopped rocking, she moved further along, gingerly, trying to ignore the enraged birds, and looked at the nest. It was hard to tell if it was the remains of an old one or the start of a new one, but it did contain a piece of tinsel, a shard of broken glass, and gleaming even under this sullen sky, something white with a gleaming edge. Five for silver, six for gold, she said half to herself. It's five for heaven, six for hell, Nanny called up. I can just reach it anyway. The bow broke. There were plenty of others below it, but they merely served as points of interest on the way down. The last one flipped Agnes into a holly bush. Nanny took the invitation from her outflung hand. Rain had made the ink run, but the word weatherwax was still very readable. She scratched at the gold edging with her thumb. Too much gold, she said. Well, that explains the invite. I told you them birds will steal anything that glitters. I'm not hurt at all, said Agnes pointedly. The holly quite cushioned my fall. I'll wring their necks, said Nanny. The magpies in the trees around the cottage screamed at her. I think I may have dislocated my hat, however, said Agnes, pulling herself to her feet. But it was useless angling for sympathy in a puddle, so she gave up. All right, we found the invitation. It was all a terrible mistake. No one's fault now. Let's find Granny. Not if she don't want to be found, said Nanny, rubbing the edge of the card thoughtfully. You can do borrowing. Even if she left early, some creatures will have seen her. I don't borrow, as a rule, said Nanny firmly. I ain't got Esme's self-discipline. I get involved. I was a rabbit for three whole days until our Jason went and fetched Esme, and she brought me back. Much longer, and there wouldn't have been a me to come back. Rabbits sound dull. Oh, they have their ups and downs. All right, then, have a look in the boy's glass ball, said Agnes. You're good at that, Magrat told me. Across the clearing, a crumbling brick fell out of the cottage's chimney. Not here, then, said Nanny, with some reluctance. It's given me the willies. Oh, no, as if we didn't have enough. What's he doing here? Mightily Oates was advancing through the wood. He walked awkwardly, as city people do when traversing real rutted, leaf-mouldy, twig-strewn soil, and had the concerned look of someone who was expecting to be attacked at any moment by owls or beetles. In his strange black-and-white clothing, he looked like a human magpie himself. The magpies screamed from the trees. Seven for a secret never to be told, said Agnes. Seven's a devil in his own self, said Nanny darkly. You've got your rhyme. I've got mine. When Oates saw the witches, he brightened up very slightly and blew his nose at them. "'What a waste of skin,' muttered Nanny. "'Ah, Mrs. Og and Miss Knit,' said Oates, inching around some mud. "'Er, uh, I trust I find you well?' "'Up till now,' said Nanny. "'I had, er, uh, hoped to see Mrs. Weatherwax.' For a moment the only sound was the chattering of the ravens. "'Hoped,' said Agnes. "'Mrs. Weatherwax,' said Nanny. "'Ah, uh, yes, it is part of my... "'Well, I, I'm supposed to... Well, "'One of the things... "'Well, I... Uh, "'I heard she might be ill, "'and visiting the elderly and infirm is part... Uh, "'part of our pastoral duties. "'Of course, I realise that technically we have no pastoral duties, "'but still, while I'm here... "'Nanny's face was a picture.' "'possibly one painted by an artist with a very strange sense of humour. "'Oh, I'm really sorry she ain't here,' she said, "'and Agnes knew she was being altogether honest and absolutely nasty. "'Oh, dear, 
I was uh, uh, going to give her... I, w uh, I was going... Is she, is she well, then? I'm sure she'd be all the better for a visit from you, said Nanny. And once again, there was a strange, curvy sort of truth to this. It'd be the sort of thing she'd talk about for days. You can come back any time you want. Oates looked helpless. Then I suppose I'd better uh, be getting back to my uh, tent, he said. May I accompany you ladies down to the town? There are uh, some dangerous things in, in the woods. We got broomsticks, said Nanny firmly. The priest looked crestfallen, and Agnes made a decision. Hey, broomstick, she said, I'll walk you. I mean, you can walk me back if you like. The priest looked relieved. Nanny sniffed. There was a certain weatherwax quality to the sniff. Back at my place, then, and no dilly-dallying, she said. I don't dilly-dally, said Agnes. Just see you don't start, said Nanny, and went to find her broomstick. Agnes and the priest walked in embarrassed silence for a while. At last Agnes said, How's the headache? Oh, much better, thank you. It, it went away. But Her Majesty was kind enough to give me some pills, anyway. That's nice, said Agnes. She ought to have given him a needle. Look at the size of that boil, said Perdita, one of nature's born squeezers. Why doesn't he do something about it? Er... Uh, "'You don't like me very much, do you?' said Oates. "'I've hardly met you.' She was becoming aware of an embarrassing draftiness in the nether regions. "'Ah, uh, a lot of people don't like me as soon as they've met me,' said Oates. "'I suppose that saves time,' said Agnes, and cursed. Perdita had got through on that one, but Oates didn't seem to have noticed. He sighed. "'I'm afraid I have a bit of difficulty,' "'With people,' he went on. "'I fear I'm just not cut out for pastoral work.' "'Don't get involved with this twerp,' said Perdita. "'But Agnes said, "'You mean sheep and so on?' "'It all seemed a lot clearer at college,' said Oates, "'who, like many people, seldom paid much attention "'to what others said when he was unrolling his miseries. "'But here, when I tell people some of the more... "'Accessible stories from the Book of Om, "'they say things like, "'That's not right. "'Mushrooms wouldn't grow in the desert, "'or that's a stupid way to run a vineyard. "'Everyone here is so very literal.' "'Oates coughed. "'There seemed to be something preying on his mind. "'Um, unfortunately, the old Book of Om "'is rather unyielding on the subject of witches,' he said. Really? Although, having studied the passage in question in the original Second Omnian Fourth text, I have advanced the rather daring theory that the actual word in question translates more accurately as cockroaches. Yes, especially since it goes on to say that they can be killed by fire or in traps of treacle. It also says later on that they bring lascivious dreams. Don't look at me, said Agnes. All you're getting is a walk home. To her amazement and Perdita's crowing delight, he blushed as red as she ever did. Ah, uh, ah, uh, the, the word in question in that passage might just as easily be read in context as, 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 as boiled lobsters, he said hurriedly. Nanny Og says Omnians used to burn witches, said Agnes. We used to burn mm, practically everybody said Oates gloomily, although some witches did get pushed into big barrels of treacle, I believe. He had a boring voice, too. He did appear, she had to admit, to be a boring person. It was almost too perfect a presentation, as if he was trying to make himself seem boring. But one thing had piqued Agnes's curiosity. Why did you come to visit Granny Weatherwax? Well, everyone speaks very, uh, highly of her said Oates, suddenly picking his words like a man pulling plums from a boiling pot. And they said she hadn't turned up last night, which was very strange, and I thought it must be hard for an old lady living, um, by herself, and... Yes? Well, I understand she's quite old, and it's never too late to consider the state of your immortal soul, said Oates, which she must have, of course. Agnes gave him a sideways look. She's never mentioned it, she said. You probably think I'm foolish. 
I just think you are an amazingly lucky man, Mr. Oates. On the other hand, here was someone who'd been told about Granny Weatherwax and had still walked through these woods that scared him stiff to see her, even though she was possibly a cockroach or a boiled lobster. No one in Lancre ever came to see Granny unless they wanted something. Oh, sometimes they came with little presents, because one day they'd want something again. But they generally made sure she was out first. There was more to Mr Oates than met the eye. There had to be. A couple of centaurs burst out of the bushes ahead of them and cantered away down the path. Oates grabbed a tree. They were running around when I came up, he said. Are they usual? I've never seen them before, said Agnes. I think they're from Uberwald. And the horrible little blue goblins? One of them made a very unpleasant gesture at me. Don't know about them at all. And the vampires? I mean, I knew that things were different here, but, uh, really. Vampires, shouted Agnes. You saw the vampires last night? Well, I mean, yes. I studied them at uh, length at the seminary, but I never thought I'd see them standing around talking about drinking blood and things. Really, I, I'm surprised the king allows it. And they didn't affect your mind? I did have the terrible migraine. Does that count? I, uh, I thought it was the prawns.